It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And finally, we get to save ourselves from the dearth of coverage on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. We just haven't heard a thing about it. Uh, But thank goodness today I am joined by one of my favorite lawyers who also happens to be a great TV lawyer, uh, Jonas Bilbor. And she is she has her own law firm. She's very impressive. She's on Fox a lot, and she always has a, a great and original take. So, Jonna, I'm so happy to be talking to you about this crazy trial. I can't believe it's over. Of course, there's going to be a sequel, according to Amber Heard's representation. And welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. And you know what, Kennedy? I am not so sure there is going to be a sequel, but we can we can talk all about that. Why? Okay, so why would her a couple of things like her lawyer got on TV today um, and and wanted to get the message out as soon as possible and and try and drill into I'm guessing potential jurors' heads that there was a bunch of evidence left on the table. Uh, she was waving the victory flag over the case in the UK. Uh, she said that her client does not have the money to pay Johnny Depp, which is not surprising after paying lawyers for mm-hmm. years and years and years to continue to fight these battles. And they are going to appeal it. So what of that do you believe and what do you make of the rest of it? OK, so let's keep in mind something that we have probably uh, quickly forgotten, that Amber Heard changed PR firms in the middle of this trial. For a reason. And I think right now she's just trying to save face, Amber Heard and her team. They are trying to lick their wounds because they did take a a legal beating, although it was warranted. And so, you know, of course, they're not going to come out the day after the jury renders, you know, such a, a devastating verdict against her and say, you know what? They got it right. You're right. I was wrong. Because she cannot admit to what she did and what she did for the last six weeks of this trial, Kennedy, was lie. That is what the verdict put their the jury put their rubber stamp on. They basically said, we did not believe Amber Heard. And Amber Heard told some fantastic stories, uh, emotional stories. She cried, you know, these tears on the stand for weeks and they didn't buy it. So she can't come out now and say, ah, you got me. She can't do that. So this is just more of a PR campaign to try to save what little face she may have left. Uh, Who did better under cross-examination, Johnny Depp or Amber Heard, and why? Johnny Depp did better on cross-examination, hands down. And the why is very, very simple. I think with Johnny Depp, what we saw is what we got. In other words, he had to, he came across as much more believable. And I believe he came across as more believable because he was, and here's why. He knew, Johnny Depp knew, before he signed his name to the complaint in this defamation case, that if he were to go to the mat, he was going to have to reveal parts of, of his life that that lay people like me 
only, you know, kind of hear about remotely. We know that celebrities are all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but we didn't know this intimate detail about Johnny Depp. And he knew it was going to have to come out. He knew he was going to have to, to display this for all the world to see if he had a shot at winning. Because at the end of the day, what this case was really about was the, was the truth. And in order for Johnny Depp to prevail, he had to do something that's very difficult. He had to prove a negative. And it, even though it sounds like that's easy to do, he had to prove that he did not commit sexual or physical battery or assault against Amber Heard. How do you prove a negative? In Johnny Depp's case, he proved that negative by proving Amber Heard was lying. And so he, on cross-examination, on direct examination, what we saw is what we got, and he came across believable. She did not do as well on cross-examination. And I think where she lost the jury and where she lost the public was that her testimony seemed contrived. It seemed like she was acting. It seemed like she was being untruthful. And that's what I think ruled the day in this case. One lawyer who was on my show during the trial noted that it was interesting that his team, rather, didn't object when she was being questioned by her own attorney. And they had been objecting to a lot throughout the trial. And I asked him why that was. And he said, because she is digging so many holes and she is putting so much out there that is provably false that they are letting her go. Um, was that a good strategy? And what were what were some of the doozies that she got caught in um, on cross-examination? <laughs> So in hindsight, I don't think that was a good strategy for the for the herd team. I think why they let it let her go, why uh, Benjamin uh, Rottenborn and Elaine Redhoff let her go, is I believe they thought the jury was going to somehow find her endearing. If you notice during the trial, uh, Amber Heard spent a lot of time looking directly at the jury as if she were trying to impress them, befriend them, get them to like her, perform which is just for them. You just don't do that. Yes, exactly. And you just, in real life, that doesn't happen. Even Johnny Depp didn't do it. You know, if somebody asks you a question, you look at the person who, who you're giving the answer to. So I don't think that was wise on their part. And there were a lot of doozies. And, and Team Depp had to have known that the more they let her go, she would give information that they could later impeach her with. Impeachment is the only real element of surprise that anybody has in trials like this, because think about it. This case was six years in the making, a long time in the making. There were depositions, there were discovery, there were a whole lot of pretrial conferences, motions. You know what your evidence is before that jury is impaneled. The only thing you don't know is how you're gonna get tripped up or how a witness is going to be impeached because that is the type of thing that happens on the fly. So when Amber heard, uh, for example, when we found out, everybody found out during this trial that she staged her own uh, TRO hearing. She staged that. She called the media and said, I'm going to be here. You know, look at the right side of my face. I mean, and then, you know, to find out that the next day there are pictures of her with a perfect face. That was I, a big impact, a big impact for the jury. Uh, the fact that, you know, we had people coming out of the woodwork with no dog in the fight. The guy who owned, uh, you know, the trailer park, for example, and even the TMZ guy who I just uh, alluded to. They don't have a dog in the fight. 
But they had information that was vastly different from the, the wreckage that Amber Heard was talking about at the time that they spent at that quote, I'm putting trailer park in quotes because it was, you know, it was glamping. It, it wasn't a trailer park, trailer park. So, I mean, these people had no other reason to be there except to tell the truth. I mean, the horrific story, the story that she told about being sexually assaulted with a bottle by Johnny Depp. I mean, that gives you shivers just even thinking about it. And the whole thing, the whole thing was a lie. And we know this because the jury endorsed that it was a lie. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard could not have both been telling the truth. And the verdict clearly states which one was lying. And it wasn't Johnny Depp. I mean, this was crazy, crazy. All right. We got more of this interview after this. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. I thought the most interesting thing was the uh, the reaction of women and feminists who were very much ready to take her side um, in, in their mind for a lot of people, not not for everybody, but for a lot of people. Uh, they thought that he was guilty, that, you know, here is a drug addicted wife beater who took advantage mm-hmm. of a young starlet and, you know, got high as a kite and beat the crap out of her. And a lot of people believed that. And a lot of people had written off Johnny Depp. There was a very unflattering Rolling Stone article that came out about him a couple years ago uh, that just painted him as an utter waste. And 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 that's that was people's baseline, especially a lot of women right. coming coming into this. And that totally shifted. And, you know, this this was not you know, these were not Johnny Depp fans uh, ready to put earmuffs on and only believe what he had to serve. You know, these were very mm-hmm. skeptical people. These were, you know, hashtag me too, hashtag believe all women people who completely turned on Amber Heard. Why do you think that is? Again, I think the truth is really what prevailed. And I'm, I'm happy that both the jury and a, a, a large majority of the public did not let a good cause blind them to the truth. And that cause is, is me too. I mean, you know, I, I think if we get to, if we live in a society where it is okay to not question a person, whether it's me too, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your boss, whether it's a coworker, if we live in a society where it's never okay to question somebody who makes an accusation, then we will completely lose all sense of due process. We may as well not have a constitution. I mean, that's dangerous. And when Me Too first hit the streets, that's what the movement was basically compelling people to do, right? Believe everyone. Don't question if somebody's, if a woman says that she's been abused or mistreated, don't question it. Just believe her. And that's so scary. And as, you know, as with most causes, thankfully, the pendulum, and perhaps this case is the catalyst, has swung much closer to center where pendulums should be because we have to question. We, we we need to question. It's not bad to question and to support accusations or points with evidence. That's our system of jurisprudence. And even take it out, take it out of the courtroom. That's our system in life. 
whether you have a friend, whether you have a spouse, a boss, a coworker, if something happens that's going to uh, interrupt life as we know it, well, damn it, question that, question it to get to the truth. That's yes. what happened here. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed that we did get there. And I'm grateful that this case illustrated that. But it's interesting because I, I think there have been a lot of ho- high profile cases where the juries have gotten it right. You know, you think about the people who murdered uh, Ahmad Arbery. You think about the Kyle Rittenhouse mm-hmm. trial, um, Jesse mm-hmm. Smollett, uh, the police officer who shot and killed the man, you know, because she thought she was tasing him like she shouldn't have gotten off. The jury got that right. And it's interesting because I was thinking about this the other day because a lot of institutions have failed us, starting with the federal government. And, you know, you can you can go down the list, but juries have been the one thing recently that have not failed us. You know, Congress abdicates a, a lot of its responsibility. But interestingly, you know, these these jurors take what they're charged with very, very seriously. And, you know, you would assume maybe the opposite in an era of social media. And they have not been acting like mobs. Uh, they they have been more thoughtful, especially in these high profile cases. So, you know, when when mm-hmm. I felt everything shifting against her and, and I often, you know, use conversations with my daughters as a barometer. And I, I want to know, first of all, if these things have sort of penetrated their social bubble and, you know, two, what are their opinions about these things? And my older daughter was watching the verdict with me yesterday and she was like, good, I'm glad that they didn't find in her favor because, you know, she's a horrible person. What she did to him is unforgivable. And, you know, I I think that I'm glad that, it, it's not all rule by mob. And I'm also glad that people still see that this was a toxic relationship. Johnny Depp is oh, wow. is not without flaws, certainly. Um, do you think that he will be uncanceled because of this? I do. I do think he will be uncanceled. I think just as a society, we almost have a respect. Now, granted, I, 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 yes, he, they were a toxic mess. He does way too many drugs. He could probably use uh, some help. But we are very forgiving, I think, of people's frailty when people are open to admit it. And he had to know going in that he was going to have to admit this. And and he did. And he did so honestly. And that was, you know, one of the salient points about this trial for me was in, if you're assessing a person's believability, you know, you have to look at Johnny Depp and say, oh, my gosh. Why would he risk displaying, putting himself on display if this, if he didn't have an abiding conviction in the fact that he was telling the truth and she was the one who was lying? Like, why would you risk that? It had to mean so much to him to clear his name, because that's the other thing that, that people we have to remember. This was a defamation case, Kennedy, right? Defamation. The full cause of action for defamation is defamation of character. Somebody has attacked your character, your reputation. That is the essence of who we are. It's not defamation of your looks. It's not defamation of your weight. It's defamation of character. And he had to feel so strongly that having to display his faults was going to be a risk worth making in in this case. And to me, that said, nobody would do this. 
Nobody would do this if he was just trying to do it for the publicity. It had to mean more to him than that. Yes. And that's one of the things that stood out for me because at the beginning of the trial, I was like, why is he doing this? He already lost in the UK. <laughs> you know, clearly he knows he's not going to win. And, you know, and, and someone pointed out he is so invested in clearing his name. He knows he's right. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't write this trial off yet. And I was, I was watching her lawyer try and spin like, well, we already won in the UK and it's like completely different legal system. That was not Mm -hmm. a jury trial. Um, And also he was suing a publication. He was not suing her. And you know what happened also, I was, I was reading about, um, the tactic that his legal team used, which, you know, I think these things are always interesting because I'm not a lawyer and I read about these things for the first time. Uh, they used a, a technique called DARVO, which I thought was fascinating, which is deny, attack, reverse victim and offender, um, which, you know, worked very, very well in his favor. What was her side's tactic? I think her side's tactic was basically number one, they thought that they were still gonna have the blind momentum from hashtag me too, number one. Number two, and this is uh, for what it's worth, I think they thought she was going to be likable. Um, she's a beautiful woman, that we'll give her that. Um, she's a starlet. She's in this Virginia you know, courthouse where they might be impressed, just as impressed with her as they were with Johnny Depp. She, I think they had to have known that the way she was going to tell her stories uh, was going to be, you know, full of tears and the, the big tears and the tissues and the, and the panting and the heaving. And maybe they thought that that was going to add to the credibility when, in my opinion, I think that detracted from any credibility she may have thought she had, to be honest with you. It just seemed so contrived. Whereas, you know, compare and contrast that to, to Johnny Depp. I mean, there were times when he was really sparring with Amber Heard's counsel, but he did it in almost an oddly endearing way. <laughs> you know, his little snide remarks to, to Ben Rottenborn, even, even the fact that he continually used the attorney's name and you could tell that he was just doing it in a really snarky fashion. But yet it didn't, it didn't put people off. It was just a little bit almost humorous in this in a trial that really wasn't funny like just this just wasn't funny at all yeah and you know he the way he described things um as though he were describing them for the first time and you know especially when it was you know things that were uncomfortable or didn't put him in the best light like he was honest about it and there there weren't histrionics there and it was i i think the whole thing is so, so interesting on a number of levels. You know, it's like there's there's the superficial celebrity popcorn level because you don't get a lot of stuff like this. And thank God it wasn't a celebrity murder trial. Um, but also right. the societal implications. You know, I, I, I bet the mothers of boys watching this were very relieved because it's hard having a boy now. You know, it, it boys really are kind of demonized in school and in society it's a it's a really rough time it's hard to be a kid but it's even harder i think to be a boy and for the society to assume that you are a bad person uh because the gender you were born i don't know i just i i watched this whole thing and i was happy to see 
some of those grooves that have been ground into our cultural roads sort of paved over so we can start anew because we have to. We cannot witness the death of due process, to your point, because that also coincides with the death of rationality. And we cannot have an emotionalist authoritarian society where a small group of people just take the cattle prod and spark up the mob because when they come for you, it doesn't end well. So, so people I think had, had a sense of their own personal justice here and you know, we'll, we'll see if there's an appeal. I don't, I don't, it's like tiger King. The second season will never be as good as the first. (laughs) Never. And an appeal will take years and years and years. And by the time anything were to happen on an appeal, we will have long forgotten about Amber Heard and or Johnny Depp in this situation. And she's never going to have to write him a check. He's probably never going to put his hand out for a check. There's a judgment against her that's not going to be worth the paper that it's printed on. And and that's fine because the bigger the bigger picture is everything that we've just talked about here. And I just, you know, I want to say two other things that really, really struck me. Like, number one, I did not know until this case that the ACLU would write op-eds for celebrities and slap their names on them in exchange for $3.5 million. That, incidentally, she never paid. I didn't know that there was that kind of holy alliance uh, between the celebs. That was unreal. That was very interesting, um, yeah, to me. And the fact, and that's the other thing, you know, she claims that in her divorce, she was given the $7 million to two different charities, and she didn't give a dime. In fact, then she tried to date Elon Musk so that he would give sometimes. I mean, that, that part, even though that all happened outside of this trial, it very much affected her credibility, obviously, um, you know, to, to and to discuss, well, I pledged it, it pledge and donation that there her attorneys really screwed up there. Like just making that excuse for her was really uh, not smart. And then the other thing is, and this and again, speaking to our, you know, the children I could not stand the fact that Amber Heard chronicled her relationship with Johnny Depp by surreptitiously recording him at every turn in his worst moments. I mean, you know, talk about if you're trying to help somebody and you want to record, uh, you know, I don't know, falling asleep with ice cream in your lap because you're going to have an intervention and try to get that person help. Perhaps that's one thing. But to document your life and, and the worst moments of a person's life so that you can use it against them. There's a special place in hell. It happens all the time. I get it, but I do not like it. And there are privacy concerns there. And she was a provocateur, not a victim every time she pulled out that phone. Yes. And I think the jury saw that, too. And, you know, all it takes Mm -hmm. is a few jurors who have been in bad relationships with psychotic people Mm -hmm. to recognize that. And, you know, they again, justice for people. It's very, very personal. Um, Jonna, thank you so much for being a part of this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. I really appreciate it. Kennedy, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It's good people like Jonna who are going to save the law and save the world. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.